Well, good morning. After what we've sung and what after Pastor Kurt prayed and said, I don't know that I have anything else to add, but um, maybe we'll just say it a different way and see how it comes out, huh? <laughs> thank you, Adrian and team, for leading us this morning. Um, and thank you, church and board, for extending to our family the gift of a sabbatical this summer. We covered a lot of miles, um, made a lot of memories, and the way our family, I'm not sure how yours does, but we like to try to capture memories by taking pictures on our phones, right? And so since I was off of social media for a couple months, a few weeks ago, sat down and started scrolling through the camera roll on my phone trying to, uh, to see what I might want to post. Naturally, I scrolled a little further past where we even started, and I saw, I forgot about that, Right? Which, naturally, what do you do? You got to keep scrolling, right? You got to go back to the future. You got to see what's going to happen here. Find a Marty McFly or whatever. And so I start scrolling back. I'm like, oh, Levi's birth, wow, and, and Wyatt's first birthday. And then I got to September 12th, 2021, and found this picture. planning on getting emotional. <laughs> um, it's my dad and Wyatt sitting right there, down here on the front row on what I think was his last Sunday ever in church. And then he got sick, passed away a few months later. But as I was looking at this picture this week, struck me, a question struck my mind, and I'll extend it to you this morning. If you knew that today was gonna to be your last time in church, would you have chosen to wear the outfit you're wearing today? <laughs> Just kidding. Turn to your neighbor and say, you look good. Yeah, my dad looks like he's fixing to go to Cuba in his cargo shorts or something, I don't know. A very unique fashion sense, but no, I did have a real question. <laughs> I was thinking, if this was the last sermon you ever heard, what would I want you to hear? And as I thought over my lifetime, what has been kind of the prevailing message and theme of my life and learning as a kid about Jesus and going through some difficult struggles along the way and how God has pruned allowed me to regrow in different areas over the years, it boils down to one word for me, and that's identity. And not just who am I, why am I here, you know, all these things, but specifically, who am I in Christ? And so I don't always preach with a mannequin, but when I do, it's always this one, okay? So welcome back, Slim Jim, to the stage. Mm-hmm. And this is just a, a silly visual this morning that represents your identity, so every time you see this this morning, think, who am I? And we're gonna talk about that this morning. If you have your Bibles, feel free to turn or tap to the book of Hebrews, chapter 10. We're gonna begin reading in verse one of chapter 10. And the first two words in this book, or in this chapter, start with the law. So just to clarify what the law is that we're speaking about here, let's talk about what it is not, okay? This is not governing law. These are not the laws that if you break, you gotta go before a judge, plead your case, and if you're convicted, found guilty, then you gotta pay the fine or do the time because you did the crime. We're not talking about that. 
Nor is this the type of like altruistic or social law, right? The golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto yourself. These, these ideas that try to help us function beneficial, mutually beneficially as a society. We're not talking about these kind of laws. We're not talking about the law of the land or your, your, your house rules, right? If you live under my roof, this is how things work. And everyone, I think, probably has house rules. If you live alone, maybe they're not stated. If you live with a roommate or a spouse, they probably are, you know. This is the way you hang a towel on the rack. This is how many dishes are allowed to pile up in the sink before you need to put them in the dishwasher and hit go, right? If you have young kids, usually it involves something like don't maim your sibling, you know, or something like this, rules that keep us all living and functioning, the laws of the land. We're not talking about those either. (laughs) When the writer of Hebrews says the law, what they are referring to is what was initially called the Mosaic Law, right? These are the OG Ten Commandments that were handed down from God to Moses inscribed on tablets, not iPads for all the kids in the room today. There are tablets before iPads. What, like Android? No, no, no. Okay, I digress. This is what happens when you go off note. You get lost, okay? Um, but we're not, so what began as the Mosaic Law over time had more rules and instructions and things added onto it, and it grew into religious law, uh, Levitical law, and it included everything from instructions on how to ceremonially cleanse yourself before you would go into the tabernacle to instructions for priests on how to perform sacrifices and stuff like this in temple worship. That's the law that we're talking about, and it was associated for generations and generations with the old way of worship prior to Jesus. So we pick it up. Verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they, have not, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. By the way, this morning before service, one of our children came in, saw that we were having communion this morning and said, it's like, I like the blood of Jesus, but I don't really like the body. (laughs) We'll get to that in a little bit, but when we're reading here now, verse five, Christ begins to speak. He says, therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings, you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings, you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, even though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Becoming clear here what he's saying? Verse 11, every day the priest stands, say stands. Every day the priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins, but 
when this priest, being Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, what did he do? He sat down at the right hand of God. Did you know that there was no chair in the tabernacle? There was no time for one. The priests were so busy running around because in the old way of doing things, if you sinned, sin required blood atonement in order to be forgiven. And what, were people, what have people always been good at? Sinning, right? So people go, oh, go to the temple. Thank you that my sins are forgiven. Go out. Somebody cuts you off on your camel, you know, as you're riding down out of the... Ah, what did I just say? Got to go back. Got to go back. I got to be forgiven again. And the priest is like, you again? Don't you realize I got the entire nation I'm trying to cycle through here? Their job was never done. But when Jesus... came to sacrifice once and for all, he sat down. He said, it is finished. You didn't earn it, you don't deserve it, but Bubba, you got it, congratulations, your bill has been paid. (laughs) So he sits down, where? At the right hand of God. This is the position of honor, the position of authority. Because Jesus was the triumphant king. He was the king of kings that we sang about this morning. And now he's waiting. What is he waiting for? He's waiting for UPS to drop off his Ikea furniture. He ordered a footstool. It's not coming in. (laughs) No, I'm kidding. Jesus was a carpenter. He could have built his own. But he would rather have someone else do it for him. What is he waiting for? Scripture says he's waiting for his enemies borrow this from my kids, to be made his footstool. Remember something about prophecy that Satan would be crushed under Jesus' feet. I don't know if you've ever read a comic book or seen a superhero movie, Loose. I believe you've seen a superhero movie. Um, Sorry to point you out. Um, In superhero movies, there's often a hero and a villain, right? but they're almost dualistic. They're almost equally powerful. And as they fight and fight and fight, somehow the hero nudges out of victory and saves the world. Thank you very much, whoever. And sometimes I'm worried that we get this picture that Jesus and his enemies are almost equal powers. But that's not what scripture says. It says Jesus has no rival. He has no arch nemesis. There's no one that even comes close. Satan, the most powerful enemy in the universe, is about as threatening to Jesus as a piece of living room furniture. That's power. That is power. And that same power is available to who? Verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he, Jesus, has made perfect or complete forever those who are being made holy. What does that mean? Well, those who have said yes to Jesus, those who have accepted this priceless and yet free gift of salvation and are continuing the process of being made holy. Justification will get you into heaven, but it doesn't put the power in your life. 
Justification will get you into heaven, but it doesn't in and of itself let you live free from your addictions, from your strongholds. The point of the Christian life is not just about getting to heaven when you die. It's about continually being transformed, morpho, more and more continually into the Christ likeness to the point where your friends, your family, your spouse cannot tell where you end and where Jesus begins. That's the point of the Christian life. That is the place of power, victory in our lives. So what does this have to do with our identity? There are a lot of people in the world, including Christians, who are still looking for significance, looking for meaning. There are people looking for a place to fit in or belong while still maintaining some uniqueness, right? And there's been a lot of conversations over recent years about things like gender identity and, and, and race wars and stuff like this. And I've heard pastors stand up in pulpits in this country and say, we need to change culture. The problem is, Jesus didn't come to change culture. Jesus came to bring a new way of living entirely, a kingdom that is not of this world. It was just a side effect of his followers, his disciples that the culture and world changed, okay? But that wasn't the point. Gender identity is part of your identity, but it doesn't define who you are. The color of your skin is part of your identity, but it doesn't define who you are. The family, the household you grew up in is part of your identity, but it does not define who you are. If you are a mom or a dad, that's what you are, not who you are, and let's not confuse them this morning. You are not the clothes you wear. You are not the phone you carry. You are not the car you drive or the house you live in. You are not the degrees you've earned. You are not the sum of your accomplishments, nor are you the sum of your failures. You are not the sum of your bank accounts, and you are not the sum of your followers. You are not the causes you champion or the political party you associate with. You are not skinny or fat or pretty or ugly or smart or dumb or old or poor. That may be what you are, but not who you are. You are not damaged. You are not self-made. You are not your diagnosis. You are not that horrible thing that was done to you. You are not what that person called you. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. And when we allow ourselves to be defined by all these other things rather than by the one who created us, we have an identity crisis. When we, allow, when we find our value and worth in these things rather than in the one who formed us intentionally, we have an identity crisis. You see, you don't have to be known by many when the God of the universe knows you. You don't have to kill yourself striving after the American dream when the God you serve can take you far beyond your wildest dreams. Your past and your present cannot dictate your future when God is the author of your story. But some of us are having an identity crisis. We say, I follow Jesus but we're chasing other things. 
We say, I trust in God while living an anxious life. We say, I believe Jesus can heal. I'm just not sure if he will in my case. We sing, come thou fount of every blessing, but we're still reliving and hashing a trauma over and over and over again. We sing, all I need is you, Lord. Man, I could really use a fill in the blank. We're living like Jesus is still on the cross rather than How easy it is to forget, huh? The 1994 classic, The Lion King, the main character, it's Kids Sunday, okay? We gotta, we gotta rep the kids a little here. Um, main character, Simba, witnesses his dad tragically being killed. His dad is the king of the land. And after some prompting from the enemy, he begins to believe that it was actually his fault. And so filled with shame, he runs and runs as far as he can. And for years, he spends trying to distract himself from the pain, trying to forget the pain. And in the process, he begins to lose his identity. Until a wise old baboon named Rafiki shows up. And that's where we pick up the story. Let's play this clip. (laughs) Creepy little monkey. You stop following me? Who are you? The question is, who are you? I thought I knew. Now I'm not so sure. Well, I know who you are. Shh, come here. It's a secret. Enough already. What is that supposed to mean, anyway? It means you're a baboon. And I'm not. (laughs) I think you're a little confused. Wrong. I'm not the one who's confused. You don't even know who you are. Oh, and I suppose you know. Sure do. You're Mufasa's boy. Bye. Hey, wait. You knew my father? Correction, I know your father. I hate to tell you this. But he died a long time ago. Nope, wrong again. (laughs) He's alive, and I'll show him to you. You follow old Rafiki, he knows the way. Come on. Don't go, hurry up. Wait, wait, wait. Come on, come on. That's not my father. It's just my reflection. No. Look hard. 
You see, he lives in you. I go back. I'm not who I used to be. Remember who you are. You are my son and the one true king. Remember who you are. No, please, don't leave me. Remember. Father. Remember. like the winds are changing. Ah, uh, change is good. Yeah, but it's not easy. I know what I have to do, but going back means I'll have to face my past. I've been running from it for so long. Ow! Jeez, what was that for? It doesn't matter. It's in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it still hurts. Oh, yes, the past can't hurt. But the way I see it, you can either run from it or Learn from it. Ah! You see? So what are you going to do? First, I'm gonna take your stick. No, 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 no! Not a stick! Hey! Where are you going? I'm going back! That'll preach, right? That'll preach. And I, I realize you could poke holes in any illustration, but what I love about this is from birth, there was a calling, a destiny on Simba's life. But shame led to running, led to distraction, led to forgetfulness, ultimately led to an identity crisis. But there was still a dormant reality. Mufasa, who is the picture of Christ in this story, was living inside of him the whole time. Just like Christ lives in you if you're a Christian, Colossians 1.27 says. But have we forgotten? Remember who you are. You are my son. <laughs> By the way, I don't know if you've ever heard the voice of God, but I always imagined it sounds a little like James Earl Jones in this. Um, remember. So I have a next question for us this morning. Why do you think we are so forgetful? You probably have better ideas than me, but here's a three that I wrote down this week. I think one reason that we so often forget is because we are still learning. As I mentioned before, we have two children, a nine-month-old named Levi, and put that picture up, and a two-and-a-half-year-old named Wyatt, and they look like they love each other here, don't they? And they do, I think, but Wyatt is at this magical age where 
trying to find his place in the world and he's testing every boundary and he's trying to find our limits. And he has a few times, okay? <laughs> Let's be real. <laughs> um, Approximately, oh, let's see. I would say on average, we tell Wyatt, Wyatt pushes, bumps, nudges, knocks over, kicks, pinches, whatever, his little brother on approximately 14,721.3596 repeating times per day, or so it seems, and being the loving parents that we are and remembering Kurt's messages about discipline recently, we discipline him just as many times, right? But there's part of me that just, oh, what are you not getting about this? I told you last month, don't push your brother. Next time you do it, tough love, you're out of the house. You know, it's like, and that seems ridiculous for a toddler because if we all did that, there would be disobedient two-year-olds running the streets everywhere, right? Thought maybe I'd get an amen in there, but uh, just kidding. But he's still learning how all this works. And if you're still new to your faith, give yourself some grace. You're still trying to figure out how this works, how the Christian life works, and you're not perfect yet, though you are being perfected. Amen. Second reason I think we forget is because sometimes we focus on the wrong thing. While we were traveling on sabbatical, there'd be some nights where we'd be staying each night in a different location, and if you've ever ridden several hours with a toddler locked in a car seat to take him out, put him in a hotel room and say, hey, guess what? It's time for bed. <laughs> Someone knows. You've been there, right? Um, you know that they don't always agree, okay? And man, why, they come up with any excuse. No, oh, I, I want to go by. I want to go swimming. I want to take a shower. I want to go to the bathroom. I want to drink a water. I want this and that and anything, anything but going to bed. And what I found was, Easiest way to distract him from this impending bedtime in front of his face was to try to help him remember some of the fun things that we had done earlier that day. Remember when we rode that train? Yeah. Was that fun? Yeah. Remember when we got off the train and we threw rocks in the river for a while? Yeah, rocks. Was that fun? Yeah. Remember after that when we got ice cream? Mmm, ice cream. Yummy, you know? <laughs> His words, not mine. Um, but, and I feel like sometimes it's not how it is. Whatever situation seems to be, boom, just right in your view that you can't get over, look around almost. But how much time do you spend reflecting on God's blessings in your life? Yeah, maybe you were stuck in traffic, but thankful that you weren't one of the car accidents you passed so on and so forth. And so sometimes I think we focus on the wrong things. Another reason we forget, I think, is um, because we're listening to the wrong soundtrack. This could include negative self-talk, um, but I'm thinking it more as what is the volume and frequency of what you're hearing from God versus other sources? Do you spend more time on your knees in prayer searching the Father's heart than you do on a screen? What are the loudest voices speaking into your life? And if they're negative things, if they're things that are not of God that we're gonna get into in a moment, 
then why are we surprised that we forget? And so how do we begin to retrain the brain in a way to, 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 so that God's soundtrack plays louder? This week, we were watching a TV show called When Calls the Heart. I don't know, do we have any hearties in here? Hey, Tori, I see that hand. Preach. Hey, okay. Stacy's in too. Um, so this week's episode, spoiler alert, sorry, um, there was a scene where there was a group walking through the forest, and they were singing, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. This little pause, Michelle paused it. I was like, what are you doing? I was enjoying this. Did you hear Wyatt singing along with it? No, I didn't hear that. And so like any good parents, we busted out our phones, opened a voice memo and hit record. And here's what we captured. <laughs> That's sweet, come on. We recorded that so we can remember it. What if this was the soundtrack that was playing in your head this week? What if every time the enemy came whispering something in your ear, you drowned it out with, this little light of mine, you're not good enough. I'm gonna let it shine. You don't have what it takes. This little light of mine, you're never gonna amount to anything. I'm gonna let it shine. You're never gonna get over that trauma. This little light of mine, no one could ever love you. I'm gonna let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. What if God's truth and the frequency of it and the volume of it began to play louder in our lives than those that are not? Would we begin to live into this Pastor Kurt said, we serve a God that has no rival. And the same power that conquered the cross is available to us to walk in. What if we could just remember who we are? What if, what if it began to shape, morph in our heads like you are good enough? This little light of mine, you do have what it takes. I'm gonna let it shine. You can do all things through Christ who gives you strength. This little light of mine, you can not only overcome that trauma, but you can use your story to the glory of God and beat the devil over the head with it. I'm gonna let it shine. That was longer, sorry. Didn't quite have the same flow. You are, <laughs> you are unconditionally loved by God. This little light of mine, you have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. I'm gonna let it shine, sing it. Let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And if you don't like that song, pick a different one, but one of the most frequent commands in scripture is to remember. God knows how forgetful we are. So the question to us today, what do you need to be reminded of? And as the band comes, I invite you, if you have a pen, a notebook, or a phone, or something you can make a note on, would you get that out and get it ready? We're gonna try an exercise here in a sec. A mental exercise, don't worry, no gymnastics. Um, in a few moments, we're gonna share in the Lord's Supper together, but before we do, 
I'm wondering, can we ask God what we need to be reminded of this week? As he brings something to your head, maybe write two or three things down. And I'll give you an example. Here's mine for the week. Um, Just in case you're wondering what they look like, don't need to be complicated. I am blessed. Oh, next one, Kai, sorry. I am blessed. I am redeemed and set free. Jesus is more than enough. These are my reminders for this week. Simple, basic. Now you can go back to the previous one. (laughs) Maybe what you need to be reminded of this week is one of God's promises. Here are just a few. He gives strength to the weary. His love never fails. He has redeemed you. He has adopted you. He will fight for you. He gives wisdom to those who ask. He will exalt the humble. He will never forsake you. He will set you free. He will meet all your needs. He will make your path straight. Maybe it's a promise. Maybe it's just a scripture reference, a Bible verse you need to meditate on and let it work on you a little this week. But take a moment, ask God what you need to be reminded of this week and as the band softly plays, write those down and then I'll tell you what to do with them in a moment. Hopefully God brought something to your mind. If not, feel free to add to it this week. But here's your mission, should you choose to accept it. Keep these in front of you this week. If it helps, when you get home, to transfer them to a sticky note. Stick them on your bathroom mirror. Stick them on the dashboard of your car. Stick them on your computer monitor. It works so that they stay in front of you. It helps to take a picture or screenshot and set it as the lock screen on your phone so every time you pick up your phone, my reminders. If you want to bust out that voice memo app and record something that you can hear every time your phone rings or your text message notification goes off. Or maybe you want to pick a simple song like This Little Light of Mine or Baby Shark or some non-toddler song that I can't think of right now. Um, But something sticky that you can put your promises to and as you go this week, sing them, hum them. And then what I want you to do each time that one of these reminders pops up in front of you, simply thank God. Thank you for being my provider. Even if I don't see it yet, thank you that this is something you are working in my life. Thank you that I am redeemed and set free. Yeah, I know I just sinned. 
But God, thank you that because you sat down, you have given me a new identity. So Jesus, I live into that identity. We gotta retrain the brain and this is not self-help. This is actually a biblical principle found in Philippians 4, beginning in verse eight. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Be the soundtrack for me. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Let's make a practice this week of remembering not only who we are, but whose we are. If this was the last sermon you ever heard, I would want you to know that you are loved, you are worthy, you can heal, you have purpose, you are not your mistakes. And if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are a child of the most high God. Now just remember that. One important practice of remembering that we get to share in this morning is the Lord's Supper or communion. We practice here at Renovation what is called open communion, meaning you don't need to be a member of this church um, to, to share in it, you just need to have made your commitment to Jesus, right? That you're a Christian, that you're a believer. And the way this works logistically, if you're newer here, um, when the band starts singing, we'll stand up, come down the side aisle, grab some elements, um, and return to your seat through the center aisle. The gluten-free elements are labeled on the lids if you need those. Um, hey, we heard it from the mouths of babes this morning. The body of Christ is not always delicious when it comes to this, right? But thankfully, it's just a symbol this morning for us. And so as we come, I would encourage you, if, if you had something that Christ put in your heart for a or something to remember this week, will we begin to thank him even now as we come? Can we do that? All right, when we come, return to your seats, hold on to those and we'll partake in them together in a moment. Come as the band sings. <laughs>